Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. On this episode, my guest is going to be Andre Foisy. We'll be talking quite a bit about uh, Break of Dawn as well as uh, his current uh, musical endeavors, too. So I'm excited for this um, to peel back the curtain a little bit. Uh, on my end, we had some difficulties. So I think this is probably like take three at this point, but hopefully all works out. Uh, as always, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, as always, thanks to everybody who's been supporting the, the Patreon uh, monthly subscribers. Uh, I know I've been saying it for a while, but by the fall, we're going to have a lot of exclusive content for you guys. And like I've been also saying, I might switch over to like a more subscription-based uh, format with the podcast eventually. So keep your eyes out for that. And then the final thing, uh, thanks everybody for supporting the GoFundMe. I'm trying to get some video equipment to really uh, take it to the next level with this. I don't think I... I considered the, the possibility of having two people uh, from Brasher Falls on this podcast when I first started. Um, so I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit too. But like I said, my guest tonight is going to be Andre Foisy from Break of Dawn and Locrian. Uh, so how's everything going for you tonight, Andre? Hey, it's going great. I'm just in Washington, D.C. for the summer and uh, it was. It's, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, like I said, uh, I, I was all fired up to do it the other night and then I had the weirdest... Uh, malfunction with the microphone that I still don't really understand, but we're here now, so it, we're good to go. Um, I knew from, from we'll get to Huskin a little bit, so I knew you were kind of from like the North Country or whatever, as they call it, but I never knew it was like that, like secluded. And obviously, when I interviewed Travis a couple episodes back from like Darker Day Tomorrow and the funeral and whatnot, he kind of got into it, but I, I'd be curious to hear your end of all that too, like the upbringing and growing up in a really small town like that. Yeah, sure. Have you ever been to the North Country? No. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I didn't figure actually, Real quick, I do I do want to say I looked at it on a map before we did this interview because I wanted to make sure I had yeah. the town right. And I was like, wow, it's it looks really secluded where you guys were from. Yeah, it's pretty secluded. So Travis and I, he's like my oldest friend. We met in preschool <laughs> and I can remember this. Um, and yeah, we're both from Brazier Falls. Actually, he's from Brazier Falls and I'm originally from Winthrop, New York. It's a big uh, it's a big difference. It was about a, a like a two or three miles down the road that he grew up from me. Um, I guess closer when he, when he, when, when I met him uh, and he is, you know, just a, a, like a really amazing guitar player. And I think that we developed our guitar playing because we were so secluded. Uh, like it's so weird that growing up uh, for the, for kids today that everything's digital. And for us, it was like, we got the radio, which was Canadian radio. And the, and the coolest thing they would play would be like, um, it was like the mid nineties Pink Floyd, they'd play in a lot of the really popular Rush songs. So it, it, the way music got to us was a little bit different than it would get to people nowadays. And a lot of the bands that we listened to, we got like third generation tapes <laughs> of a bad recording of an LP. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I know Travis mentioned like traveling, um, and stuff, but when I looked at the map, am I wrong? It was like, it's like Cornwall, Ontario, one of the closer cities to you guys. And, that, and that's not really a big city either, obviously. Right. Yeah. I think technically Cornwall is the biggest city. So where we grew up, it's like, if you go uh, a bit to the North, then you get to Aquasasne, uh, the Mohawk reservation. And then next to that is Messina, New York which is, it used to be somewhat of an affluent town when we were growing up, but today it's like the, uh, it's, it's a bit, 
it's it's a bit depressing. Um, I think a lot of the industries left that area, which uh, has has made it a bit of a like a, a desert for jobs in some ways. Um, and then Potsdam State was was not too far away either. I think and I always. Then, associate, like, I'm sorry. I think I always associate you guys with Potsdam, like like Husk and all that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think we probably said that we were from Potsdam because it was too confusing to say that we're from <laughs> Brazier, Helena, Winthrop, yeah, and my apologies, New York. My apologies for mispronouncing it as Brasher Falls in the beginning of the episode. I mean, I, I can't imagine I'm the first person to mispronounce the uh, town name there. So Probably not. And I mean, I live in Albany now, and, and most of the names of the towns around Albany don't make any sense. And I've, it's, it's like my fourth year living there, and I'm still trying to pronounce like Wynance skill the way that I'm supposed to pronounce it like a local and if you're from like the eastern part of New York State you'd probably understand well I don't know if you remember the town near Rochester called Leroy I always pronounced that Leroy up until I was like 26 uh-huh. and then some girl I worked yeah. with called Matt she'd be like it's Leroy and I'm like no way it looks like Leroy so yeah um but yeah let's kind of get into the musical upbringing I know you're talking about like Rush and like uh kind of the the inaccessibility of music uh but like when did you kind of first start connecting with like heavier stuff um i'm guessing that was with travis like he said in his episode obviously yeah i think it was travis and i think it was like uh i i I got a guitar and i was playing guitar a lot and travis would come over and hang out with me and i think eventually he just got interested in playing the guitar and i was kind of not taking it too seriously uh until travis showed up and he got a guitar and then the next thing you know this dude is ripping off some randy Rhodes solos and i was like no way this is not gonna happen and travis you know he he's he's a shredder and so that's really the point where we both got this uh i think travis got this it was like 50 dollars at the time it was like a paul gilbert from mr big did instructional video and and I borrowed it from him and that's where I like got my chops from because Travis was learning how to shred and I was like what is he doing so he had this tape and I learned the exercises on this tape and I still do the exercises today and actually some of them even made it into a couple break of dawn songs um although uh and um yeah and 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 recently I've been getting together with Travis and and jamming guitars again and it's been super fun um he he, i think he he hasn't really lost his chops so it's really fun for me to be able like all right here's this like noodly thing and travis can can mimic it and so uh i'm I'm looking forward to playing more music with him in the next year yeah when he was ripping off those solos back in the day that was that when he had the long hair oh totally (laughs) it was it was funny because i remember like after we both started getting really interested in guitar, we entered the the Messina New York talent show. It must have been like 15. And there's a, I think I have this on video somewhere. And we both played like these, uh, he, he, he did the solo for like a Steve Vai song. So I was the rhythm guitar. And then I played a Joe Satriani song. <laughs> and um, it was somewhat technically challenging and then there was a, a group that of, of uh young men who i think they just started playing the guitar the, the month before and they covered a nirvana song and they were the people who won the talent show so that was kind of funny to us and so this sounds like probably like like early to mid 90s like 93 ish right or, or a little bit later yeah, 
May, probably around then, maybe 94, 93, yeah. By that point, were you kind of starting to recognize like punk and hardcore and stuff too, or did that come a little bit later? I think it was it was right around that time. So it was soon after we did that, uh, that, that wanky guitar solo uh, talent show. And I think we had some friends who would go, we, they, would, they would skate and they'd go to Burlington and I think like Ottawa and Montreal and skate. And they'd bring back music to listen to, uh, like tapes and stuff. So I think it was around then that some of our friends were bringing back, like they brought back the Earth Crisis demo and there were people coming to Pot Sam State. Um, and I think actually late at night, I would listen to the radio that Pot Sam would do. Uh, it might've been St. Lawrence University or one of the other colleges, but I wanna, I wanna say it's Pot Sam. Um, and I would hear bands like Bloodlet on the radio and they would play like the early Morbid Angel albums um, and just weird stuff. Like I, I remember hearing uh, Integrity uh, on the radio and I would, I would just have like a tape recorder up to the radio and I would just tape the radio show and then listen to like that crappy version of, um, you know, like the early Bloodlet seven inches uh, on that, on that tape. It's crazy. <laughs> so that's kind of when we got into it. Like we had like sudden death overtime and all these metal shows in Rochester, but I can't remember ever having like too many like shows like that where I would have been exposed to like, like real hardcore. Like there was probably a couple that lasted like short periods of time, but like yeah. it's cool that you guys were able to listen to like a college show that would expose you to that kind of stuff so early, you know? Yeah, it was cool. And then I would have these friends that would go and skate and they would bring back like the Evolution Records stuff. Uh, and they bring back these bands from Burlington. Like there was this band, Seven Years War from Burlington. that was really good. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard them, but it's kind of surprising to me. They, I feel like they were probably like the predecessor to Drowning Man. And it happened a lot around the same time that uh, like Endeavor was was starting as a band. I think that was in New Jersey. Um, so just a lot of like tapes of tapes of things is how I'd get into them. Um, and then our skater friends started a band called Wall of Opposition. And so that had uh, the singer and guitar player that later went into, into Huss. And then actually the drummer too, uh, who played on our seven inch. And uh, I, I remember seeing them. And I think they used to cover Chokehold songs and some of the early Earth Crisis songs. <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of, interesting um and at first i i don't know that it, i say that i liked it because it was more it was more music based on gut than than like musical technical proficiency I'll, even though there was some of that there and and to me it like i think that was my first exposure and i was like wow like music has to have like a certain feeling and it doesn't matter if there's if people can shred their instrument or not so like you being like, I don't know if I'd say like technically proficient or like a wizard at guitar or whatever you want to say, but like early on, like, and I know there wasn't as much of this kind of hardcore around them, but like did like the standard like meat and potatoes hardcore, was that kind of like boring for you? Cause it's like too simple or, or like, were you into some of that stuff too? Um, I think like initially I got into some of that hardcore, but then I think moving to Buffalo, um, it kind of, I, I think in probably the friends that I had, it just kind of turned me off to that. Like, I remember I moved to Buffalo and I was like, 
I wanted to go to a city that was as far away from Potsdam as possible. And so Buffalo had a state school there. And I was like, well, I've got the hourglass demo. Like hourglass is like, I, I, everybody in the North country that was into hardcore loved their demo. Cause I think we had like a third generation copy because they played in Syracuse. And then I was like, well, there's gotta be other stuff like this there. And then lo and behold, I get to Buffalo, hourglass broke up and it was a, not very much hardcore like that. And so uh, I wasn't super into that, but in hindsight, I can really appreciate a lot of that stuff. And there were a lot of great bands in Buffalo, not to say, not to say that, but at the time I felt like disappointed Hourglass wasn't a band. And uh, um, I, wa I, I wanted, like when I moved to Buffalo, my favorite band was the band Iyer from Montreal. And they were just like, phenomenal metal i think you probably saw Iyer play in rochester at some point and so that was that was a band that husk played some shows with and um in terms of thinking about like music i was like man that's that's the kind of stuff that i want to do like dark loud so metal it's actually kind of weird I'm, I'm recording like five episodes in four days so they're all kind of like jumbled together but i recorded one last night that's going to come out after this with uh ryan uh -huh. Hacks and dan from harvest and i actually oh, wow. mentioned seeing Iyer. Cause we, cause that, that episode is about the, the first Syracuse fest that was later, you know, turned into Hellfest. And, yeah. uh, I mentioned that that Friday of that fest, I remember I was, I was actually here seeing Iyer and not at the fest in Syracuse and Iyer was, I mean, that was in a basement in Rochester too. And they were loud as fuck and really good too, obviously. So, yeah. you know, and they were in another band later. I think they were in a couple bands later, but I want to say they're in a band called Born Dead Icons too, that I actually caught in Montreal, like one of their early shows with, uh, his heroes gone, luckily. You know, yeah. So, um, did you actually not think about it? Did you travel to Montreal at all in your youth for shows, or was it mostly like Vermont? Um, it was a bit go. I mean, it, it was like uh, I was a teenager, so I didn't get to go out as much as I wanted to. But when when I did, it would be to this place, two four two Maine in Burlington. It would be to Montreal. There was a place called I think it was called like the Underground uh, that I used to play at occasionally. Uh, I used to go to Syracuse uh, quite a bit for shows, and that was basically the diet of shows that I would get to go to, maybe Plattsburgh. So you were kind of starting to, to jump into Husk a little bit. I know there was probably like some high school bands before, but like was Husk like your first, like like what you would call like a serious band or whatever? Um, well, I played in, in a band with Travis. And so we basically started out covering a lot of Slayer songs and then started writing originals. So that was called Wretched Earth. And, uh, Jay Crack in Albany, he posted uh, the demo. And so we we took that pretty seriously. And then I got into hardcore. And so some of the guys from that band, Wall of Opposition from the Potsdam area, uh, that band broke up and I, I, I was just into hardcore. And so I like playing bass. And so I started playing bass with them. And initially we were named after a chokehold song. So we were, we were called Culture Cease. So we we're big chokehold fans and then we later change it to husk i mean i know we'll talk about the band a little bit here but i feel like one thing that's obviously pretty relevant to this conversation and I, I feel like you and i both don't remember how this exactly happened but i booked a show in late 1997 i think it was and i don't yeah. remember you guys weren't initially on the bill but i don't know if it's like somebody just asked me because i did not have the internet back then so it would have yeah. had to have been like word of mouth and somebody definitely said like this band husk 
wants to play here. I think it was the Lockjaw show that I did, right? Maybe. I don't know if you remember it at all, but. I do the... remember it. I don't remember Lockjaw, but I remember Makeshift played and so did Canvas, which was John 25's former band. And I think someone else played. I think this is the show where Sirhan, featuring Andy Williams and Rap Boy from Every Time I Die, were supposed to play. But oh. as I was referencing, this show is in the middle of nowhere, like in like Henrietta, like 15 miles away from like Center City or whatever. And like I just copied the directions off of another flyer, and I must have copied something wrong because a bunch of people got lost. And Sirhan uh. made it. Sirhan made it there like right at the end of the show. And like Andy oh. Williams' typical fashion was just like laughing about it, but the rest of the band was like what the fuck you know what i mean like wow and again it's like we talk about this on here a lot like pre-internet you know no google maps no map quest you know like i was mm -hmm. just and i have horrible handwriting too so i'm guessing like they might have seen like south this road and probably took it as something else or whatever you yeah. know because i did another show there which became pretty notorious uh it was like an i hate you riot show or whatever and uh people got lost going to that one too and they were like making fun of me then too and i was like I just copied the directions from another flyer or whatever. So I don't know, <laughs> but I can't imagine now like kids having to deal with that kind of struggle. I'm not trying to sound like, you know, six miles up the hill each way to and from the show or whatever type thing. No, you know, um, but do you, but is that, was that your first time connecting with Rochester? I guess. Uh, kind yeah, of man. Back? And I got to thank you for putting us on that show. Cause I'm sure that we were just a bunch of uh, very, it was like an extracurricular learning experience. It was like my summer or my winter after my first semester of college. And then it was figuring out how to book a tour. And we booked a tour that probably, uh, I don't even know how we did it. I feel like Tim Cooper, the drummer, booked a lot of it. And I have to thank that tour for a lot of the people that are connected to me today uh, because I made them through connections I made on that tour. So, uh, I mean, thank you for being here. And it was like, that was the show where I met Eric Lepore. And uh, I think I met, I might've met Jeff at that show, but I met John 25 and, you know, I've made all these friends through Eric. So it's just been, it's been cool. I always use the expression only in hardcore. There's like so many weird things that have happened like that over the years. Like one time uh, we booked a show at the Bug Jar and, and the sound guy like didn't know there was a show that night. So I don't know, uh -huh. uh, Jim Callahan who played drums for Moment of Truth and he uh, offered to do sound that night. And it like yeah. started it started his sound career. Like he had never done that before. And now he's like wow. a sound engineer full time. And I'm not patting myself on the back for that or your story. I'm more saying like yeah. that's one of those like perfect things that, that happen in hardcore where it's like you guys just wanted a show in Rochester and you didn't even know probably what to expect or anything like that. And lo and behold, yeah. you ended up uh, becoming friends with people that you're friends with to this day. You know, it's totally, you know. Um, but how long like how long was Huska Band for? A couple of years or uh i guess it went from it might have been 95 end of 95 until 1997 and we played a show in i think we actually 1998 early 1998 um is when we played a show uh that well it was like at early 1998 because we had a tour that went over new year's i believe and then uh we had two singers and unfortunately one of them passed away and we played a show with without him to uh as like a memorial i think that was april of 1998 yeah that had to have been pretty i mean i'm not trying to push into it too far obviously but it yeah. had to have been pretty tough to to have that to go through that so especially at such a young age too you know what i mean yeah it was a total bummer i mean the dude who died it's like i knew him since we were little kids and we played hockey together and you know he was a great guy 
Um, and, and now two, two of the other original members have passed away too. So it's kind of strange. Yeah. I'm grateful that I'm here today. Yeah. Yeah. Travis was telling me that in the interview and even he like corrected himself halfway through. He's like, no, I think it's actually three of them. And I was just like, man, I can't, yeah. you know, I can't imagine. And obviously like in recent years, like, you know, we're not getting any younger, but it's, it doesn't make it any easier. You know what I mean? Like we all, no. we see people every few weeks, it seems like sometimes now passing away and it's just a lot of them are just too young. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but was that your first time putting like vinyl out for a band too then? Or cause you guys got a seven, yeah. right? Yep. It was a, it was a seven inch and it was like my last, uh, uh, a summer as a high school student, we recorded it. We saved up money that we, I think we got from putting on shows in Messina, New York, like hardcore shows. And then we booked the one studio that we knew of, which was this guy, Joe Egan in Vermont. And we knew him because he recorded the seven years war CD. And I think, uh, some common ground stuff. So a lot of people that were in like the 242 main scene in Burlington would go and record there. And I think we had like a half of day to record there and we showed up and he was probably like, you need more time for this. But we pulled it off and that's the seven inch. We actually have two other songs somewhere from that session. It's funny because like 97 was when I first started buying a ton of vinyl. Like I had been into hardcore for like a year or two, but that's when I like really dove into it. And yeah, that, that common ground seven inch was in heavy rotation for me that summer too. I don't remember where I bought it, probably at that first uh Syracuse Fest actually but um it's just so fun to think back to like all those like early bands that you kind of like forget about you know what I mean and that's probably like, yeah. my favorite part about doing this podcast or whatever you know um yeah but kind of oh well I guess was there anything in between Husk and Break of Dawn or is that when you kind of started getting ready to go to to, Buff, to Buffalo um it was uh Husk yeah it was Husk and Break of Dawn and then when I went to Buffalo uh I, I just didn't really have anybody to play music with. I think it was because I didn't have like a practice space. And it was uh, it was a bit of a culture shock going from the remote northern New York area to an actual city. Uh, so the, the people that I met in Buffalo just had different musical tastes. It was like a lot of Long Island people. So uh, they would bring down the Long Island hardcore and I'd get exposed to that stuff. And uh, I think it was just a little bit hard for me to break in because I'm was a shy kid and and then when i interviewed jeff and eric that's when i started thinking back because i was like i always associate you with break of dawn like i feel like eric jeff and you were like the main pieces that i that i associate yeah. with because you guys were in there for so long but then i got to thinking i was like oh no i'm andre joined later you know what i mean like, yeah so like how long how long was it before you joined like they were probably a band for at least a year or so right yeah it must have been a year like the first so we um we did that show in Rochester that you set up and then one of the singers in Husk died and I called, uh, I think it was John 25 and I was like, hey man, would you want to like have a band come and play this memorial show in the North Country? And I was like, it's this weekend. And he was like, let me make some phone calls. He's like, I got my new band. And then Break of Dawn came up with all like some wonderful people. Uh, that I'm, you know, that are, that are, that I'm still friends with. And, uh, that was the first time I saw Break of Dawn. That was in 1998. And then I think I must've joined around 1999. I filled in as a guitar player. And then later they asked me to join. And obviously you were still going to Buffalo at that time too, then, right? So you would just drive back and forth to Rochester for like practice and stuff. Dude, it was like me getting on the Greyhound bus to get to Rochester and then I'd get off with my guitar. I don't think I had an amp at that time. 
uh, I think it would just stay in Rochester and Eric or Jeff would pick me up at the bus station and the bus station was a pretty gnarly place to hang out for too long uh, when when you're like a 20 year old <laughs> kid. I um I cut school because I switched from uh, I purposely got myself kicked out of a Catholic school. Uh, any kids listening to this, don't do that um, in ninth grade because my mom wouldn't let me switch. So I couldn't go back yeah. next year. I went to a city school and it was so rough that I'm not even going to front. I skipped school for like two weeks. And one of those days I was hanging out there downtown because I was like, yo, yeah. I'm at the Greyhound. No one's going to say anything. They're going to think I'm with my dad going to catch a bus or whatever. And I remember some dude, this is how naive I was when I was 16. I would never do this now. Some dude was like, yeah. yo, let me borrow that Walkman for a minute so I can check out this tape real quick. And I was yeah. like, okay. And then I turned my back and he was gone. You know what I mean? Like, and if I were to think of my whole life, like that's the only time anything like that's probably ever happened. You know what I mean? But that just shows you like yeah. that place was. And, and, then, and then it's funny you mentioned that too, because. I don't know why, but I was just thinking about all the Greyhound buses that I've caught over the years. And like pretty much every Greyhound station is in a really sketchy area. I don't know why, but you know, yeah. like, they're always like, they don't, they don't want to put them like in a nice area for some reason. Like when I went to Miami, it was the worst. I was like, oh my God, I'm glad it's like nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and this is like a totally random question, but I was thinking about, I remember seeing a picture on somebody's fridge at one of the Break of Dawn apartments. And tell me if you, if, if I'm wrong about this, but wasn't uh -oh. there like, you know what I'm already talking about? Like a cave -in? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there was like a cave-in show and there was a bunch of dudes who like mooned the fest and like wrote something on their asses. Like, did you have a hand in that? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I might have had a butt cheek in that <laughs> photo. Were you guys huge cave -in fans or was that just like a prank? Is that the band too? Am I right about that? Cave-in? Yeah, it was cave-in. Uh, yeah, it was basically like this show in Pittsburgh we played. I think it was with, it was Break of Dawn. I think I was... Um, uh, we were on Break of Dawn was on tour with the Dying Game Theory, which is some of the Husk people. And Caden played, and so did uh, I think it was the Dillinger Escape Plan. And there were just kids that whose kids uh, that drove from all over to see Caden. It was right when Until Your Heart Stop came out, and they just came there and they were just ready to tear it up and mosh. And of course, at that time, we were like, I don't know if we we're anti moshing. But we, we weren't, our favorite Caven song was the, the one that they covered, like a Metallica song. It was like a medley. We were like, that's their best song. And so we kept asking them to play it and they wouldn't do it. And so we were um, also, I think, trying to like mess with people a little bit. So we wrote the name of the song on our butt cheek. So we just had a Sharpie marker and everybody's butt cheek got a letter. And then uh, we mooned the band. And I don't think that, like, they looked like they were kind of bummed out. I sort of feel bad. I do feel bad about it in hindsight. Like, if I could talk to those guys, I'd apologize. But at the same time, it was kind of funny. Well, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Kevin. That, that's hilarious. I, I'm, glad I, I'm glad that I was right about that. I don't remember, like, I must have been, like, you know, because John did a lot of layouts for me. So he was probably doing something for my zine when I was over there. And I was like, yo, yeah. what's this fucking picture or whatever, you know? And I thought... I thought it was Kevin, but I didn't know if, if, if you were involved. So I'm glad I uh, <laughs> brought that up. Or so Stephen Brodsky, if you're going to play with Kevin, better play Crambone or some butt cheeks are coming out. No, just kidding. They're not. <laughs> um. So I guess with that being said, before we get into like recording and stuff, since we're already kind of talking about like memorable experiences at shows. Um, yeah. Are there like some memorable Break of Dawn shows that stand out for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, tons of like tons of shows like stood out. I mean, a lot of it was like, I was uh, I was the guy who was coming in from Buffalo 
with unreliable transportation and then I was bad at direction. So I'd be like, oh, how do I get to the show? So it was like writing it on a, a sticky note and then leaving and then, like, I don't know, getting lost. Um, lots of memorable experience with those guys. Like going on tour was super fun, except it was like at the time in your life when you're like, all right, I'm going on tour. I'm going to go all out. And then by the second day of your tour, you're like exhausted. So I get pretty exhausted on the tour. Um, I don't know. I was thinking, oh, well, one show I was thinking of recently was that you mentioned Andy Williams and that band Sirhan Sirhan was actually pretty, pretty good. And I remember liking them in Buffalo, but I remember we played it with Every Time I Die before, um, before we broke up. It was pretty soon before we broke up. And I think it was in Indiana. And we got there and there was like hundreds of kids in this parking lot of this VFW hall and they were just waiting to get in. And it was around the same time where Jeff and me and maybe some others, I probably shouldn't incriminate Jeff, but we would do a lot of dumpster diving. And so there was like a soy boy dumpster in Rochester and we'd go there and we, you know, we'd jump in the dumpster and we'd get like all this tofu and hummus that would be just mostly like good to eat but we'd take that stuff so we were we had some skills and able to like get into um locks and things like that so this so this kid booked a vfw hall kind of like you did with the husk show and didn't have the keys and so we were sitting around and the guys and every time i die were sitting around and they were like throwing rocks at a wall and then um i think it was when brad was in the band and he had a bongo with him and so Brad got out the bongo and started like playing the bongos. Like we had a drum circle and we we're kind of just like kind of messing with people a little bit because there was a, obviously if you were into hardcore, you were into hippie stuff. And then finally, like we were like, whoever's got the key to this place is never coming. And the person who was setting up was like, oh, I've got the venue. So we were like, all right, Jeff and I went over to the window and Jeff brought out like a toolkit and then we 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 opened up the window somehow. So we broke into this window and then I was like the little dude and I crawled in the window and I opened it up and then let everybody in. And uh, otherwise the show wouldn't have happened. So that was pretty funny. That's that's very similar to the, the what happened at the bug dry that night where Jim had to do sound because we booked yeah. the National Acrobat, a bunch of other bands and it was like our first show that we had booked there for like an 18 and overall ages thing or whatever. Yeah. And Bobby is a good dude, but he's a total space case, as I'm guessing most uh, club owners yeah. probably are for obvious reasons. Um, and he just didn't know about it. And they, they all showed up like an hour after the show was supposed to start. So it sounds similar to, the, to that experience, obviously. Yeah. Um, I actually, I kind of want to read something real quick. I don't usually do this, but I know I talked in the last episode and I felt kind of like bad after Eric kind of explained a little bit better. And uh, we kind of skipped over to talking about Brad, but I know when Matt was singing for you guys, he kind of had this reputation for kind of being a dick. And he actually yeah. left something. He actually left something on my Instagram today. So if anybody listens to this okay. episode, I think they would appreciate this. Uh, this is from Matt Burns. Sorry, late 90s scene for being such a jerk. Just riding the coattails of ridiculous musicians and super rad dudes. So um, and, and I think that kind of goes along with what Eric was saying, too. You know, so I I, I this like I, I don't remember which episode I was talking to about this about, but I think. Like when we're younger, sometimes too, we just kind of tend to to judge people just by the way they act in certain situations. And I'm sure you guys can vouch for the fact that, that dude is not an asshole. And we just all kind of saw him on stage or on the floor or whatever and just assumed it. You know what I mean? So 
Yeah, no, Matt's a Matt's Matt's a great person. I hung out with him recently. We got it's uh, really nice. He lives in uh, he lives in Schenectady, and I live in near near Albany. So we met up and got got some dinner in Troy. And he's a he's a professor now, and we both do some similar things in higher ed. And he's just it's great. He's been putting out books of poetry. I got his book of poetry. So if anyone's um, if anybody liked the old Break of Dawn lyrics, it's, I, I read this and it was kind of like, oh, you can tell that the, the Break of Dawn lyrics that Matt would write were always really well written and interesting to me. Um, and I can I can tell that it's the same kind of creative mind who wrote this, who wrote the poetry in this book. And it was just awesome. And I just want to reiterate, Eric, Eric explained it better. Like one time I booked a show or I was at a show where you guys played and Matt was like, if you guys know the words, keep them to yourself. And myself and a few other hardcore kids were like, that's a real dick thing to say. But the way yeah. Eric explained it was like, those are really personal lyrics to him. And like, yeah. it wasn't something that he felt comfortable having a lot of people sing along to. And I understand yeah. that a lot more now. Obviously, he probably could have explained it better at the time. But yeah, that, was, that wasn't his place. That's how he wanted to approach it. And yeah. I totally understand it now. You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those hindsight things, like I think we were saying, where you have more time to think about things and you're like, oh, it makes more sense now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But, um. Obviously, we'll talk about the last show a little bit, too. But um, I mentioned this to Eric and Jeff. I know I don't know how long if you guys did the upside down flag thing the whole time when uh, Brad was in the band. But I know there was one show that I booked where there was a little bit of uh, uh, drama attached to that after the show, because it was like literally like two or three weeks after 9-11. And I yeah. remember even Jeff in the interview was like, well, we're not going to like stand back from this now. We're going to we're going to stand up for what we've been doing the whole time. And, you yeah. know. It makes sense, but like before I, I get your opinion, I just I want to say like I'm like kind of anti-cop, and like a cop got killed here recently, and like there yeah. were some anti-cop people that were like still on the like fuck the police train, and I was like not this week. I'm gonna let them have a week to relax. Like I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not. I will never talk shit about anybody who gets killed doing their job. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not. I'm not pro police, but like I'm not. I'm not like an asshole that like that bad. You know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, I guess just kind of like give me your take on the whole like flag thing. And was it ever like like nerve wracking for you or were you just totally like behind it, I guess? I think at the time I was a bit I just didn't really think about it, what Brad was doing too much. And I kind of. I respected that he had been. Had some passionate views. And I rem don't even remember that being a thing that we did regularly. It might've been, I I've got some things that I forget, but I remember just showing up to that show and there was the upside down flag. And it, of course it was post 9-11. And I think the way that I interpreted that for myself was, it, it, there were some problematic things to me that the US was doing in our foreign policy. And I think to me, when I saw that, I was like, I, I think those guys are thinking the same thing as me. Um, I wasn't sure. I don't think we ever had a, a discussion or else maybe a discussion with me. Uh, and so I, I just basically went along with it. And I remember there was a scuffle after the show and I can understand why that scuffle happened. I think that was partially why uh, Brad and maybe Jeff made that decision to use that that flag because it was it was flag mania it was like those twin towers went down and then everybody had a flag and i think there was uh it, there was this moment where 
George Bush interpreted that action as an act of war rather than an act of terror. And I think it, it was, we were, I mean, my brain was still forming at that time. And so in hindsight, even though I do notice American flags being used in really problematic ways today, I, I, I wouldn't make that choice today. Uh, because I know people who have died in some of those wars that have happened uh, because of the way that the U.S. government reacted um, to that situation. And I, I, I wouldn't want to do anything to disrespect uh, their memory, I guess. It's crazy because you made fun of me a couple. Of, well, I don't I, I'd call it make fun of me for knowing like yeah. exactly where I was the day that rabies passed away or whatever, which I yeah. guess in retrospect was the day after. But regardless. I also remember exactly where I was when I found out that we had declared war and I, I was at work and I heard it on the radio. I just remember being like, just like so confused and upset and like so many other feelings at the same time. And it's like, it's almost like they use 9-11 as, a, as an excuse to go in there and just kill a bunch of people. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Like I can relate to like knowing people that have like been in military and like, obviously mm -hmm. I wish they would have made other choices, but I understand being young and needing like the college assistance and whatnot i know a lot of my friends did that but yeah um, it's just crazy to think that like here we are you know 20 plus years later and it's like not really much has changed you know like yeah um yeah that's for sure i mean speechless I, in, in the way that the the american flag is used to mobilize different identities is really problematic because i, I live in the country now and so it's very it's very white and people there will put up the the blue lives matter flags and there's almost a lack of empathy that they have because of maybe it's because that they live around not that many black people um and and it's like almost like those flags represent something something different to them that i it, that makes me uncomfortable i mean i've spoken on here plenty of times too like when i when i was going to all the protests in 2020 like ever since then like even if i'm at the playground with my kids now if i see a pickup truck drive by with a big american flag it just rubs me the wrong way and it, it really shouldn't yeah. be that way you know what i mean because like at the end yeah. of the day we should be happy to be here and, and yada 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 but like it it still kind of just gives me that image of of people i don't want to associate with you know what i mean so yeah i mean i went for a jog the other day and I'm in DC and I went to the front of the National Art Museum and there was a line of cars at 6 a.m. on a Sunday that were people that uh, had prominent American flags and um, prominent statements on their vehicles about wanting to keep abortion illegal, illegal. They wanted abortion to be illegal. Um, and uh, it, it, it was it was weird. Um, people who deny that Trump lost the election still. And I was like, wow, these people are still here. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I, I mean, we could have like a literally like a two hour discussion on this. I will kind of move it along in a second. But like the other the last thing I'll say, too, is it kind of ties everything in is I was watching some of the footage of the Alex Jones trial today, too. And I'm just like, man, uh -huh. it is just so crazy. Like how like people would even believe something like that. You know what I mean? The shit that he spouts off and like you can tell that he's like ever since I've first seen that dude, I'm like, yo, he's full of shit. It's obviously like a, a ploy just to like get people to watch his shit. But like, for some reason, there's so many idiots in this country that like, really believe all that stuff, you know, and it's, it's crazy, yeah. you know, just completely, completely mind boggling. Um, But yeah, but uh, 
I obviously want to talk about the last show. Um, but is there any other like break of dawn memories or anything that that you'd want to uh, kind of get out or anything? I mean, pl- I have plenty of memories with those guys. Like being on tour was just a, a well, uh, man. Some of these stories I really don't want to tell them on the air because <laughs> uh, I do have a job and I want to stay employed. But it, it used to be fun, like just going on tour. Uh, we had a lot of hijinks when we'd go out with the like the the dying game theory people. Like when we first went out on tour with them, it was like we we're all vegan. Most of us were, and we had. I don't know whose idea it was to bring margarine, uh, sticks of margarine. And uh, we had two vans that were just essentially like people on the highway throwing sticks of margarine at each other. And this, the margarine, like it gets on your windshield and never goes away. I don't know if that's better or worse. And I remember reading, I feel like it was in a hex fanzine that when like coalesce and maybe converge toward in like 96 yeah. or 97, they would like yeah. fill up jugs of pee and just like throw them out the van at each other and stuff like there that. might have been some of that too <laughs> it's just crazy like I, I i only tried to go on tour the one time but i just imagine there's so much like even when you do like a week a week tour or 10 days or whatever like i imagine yeah. there's so much downtime on the road yeah it's just like what are we going to do to to keep from going nuts today especially like pre pre uh smartphone days you know what i mean yeah like now you could at least just be playing like a game on your phone or or looking at numbers yeah. like I do something, you know what I mean? But back then it was just right. like out the window the whole time. And like, you know, so, um, but I got I, another story about break it down if you want. No, so we played this one show, it was called Brandon Fest. And this was a, sh- this was like a tour that Jeff, I think Jeff booked. And we were like, we don't know where this is. It's out in like the hills of West Virginia. And I think we'd played in West Virginia before. And it, it was, a uh, it was, we always had a unique time when we went to West Virginia and we had this band that was falling apart and barely making it going through the mountains. And we finally get to the town and we're like, where is Brandon fest? And then somebody was like, Oh, it's down the road. And so we get to the end of the road and then there was a fork in the road and there was a person's vehicle with a sign that said Brandon fest. And so we take that car all the way to the end and get into the woods and there's a trailer there and a barn. And we're like, this is strange, like darkest hours playing this, buried inside, all like these well-known acts that you'd normally maybe see in a club. And then we got there and this dude, Brandon was there and he was like, oh yeah, darkest hour was here like two two hours ago. And they said they were gonna go to the store. And then we, we convened and we're like, yeah, they, I don't think they went to the store. Like they, they didn't want to play this fest because there wasn't very many people there either. <laughs> and buried inside came. They were on tour with us, and they, they, they were from Ottawa, and they stopped, and they were basically like, yeah, we're not unloading the van. They were, they were like, we're not doing it. <laughs> they drive straight there too from Ottawa to West Virginia. Is that what you just said? No, we had okay. some other shows with them. I can't remember where we played the night before. But we kind of needed the money. And so Break of Dawn played a set. And the set was in a, a barn. And uh, I, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a set. I, I don't know. It, was, it probably it didn't go over super well. But they, we played. And then it was like we found a puppy mill there. They had like all these puppies. So we were thinking about taking back all these puppies that we found. Because there were like these little malnourished puppies eating 
Taco Bell wrappers. So they were feeding these dogs Taco Bell, totally weird. And then there was like an old van and I told you how Jeff and I used to know how to uh, get into locked things. And so Jeff goes into the van, is wedged in the, the earth, and he gets the van going. And everybody was looking at Jeff, and they're like, he's never going to get that thing going. He's never going to get that thing going. And then the next thing I know, Jeff is like going forward and back with the van. And then he's got it, and he's driving this van. <laughs> around 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 this person's yard and i was like wow <laughs> and so he's like we gotta buy this van he's like we're gonna leave this van here and we're gonna take this one and we're gonna take these puppies and uh that didn't work out <laughs> not the van either <laughs> not the van either <laughs> so and then and then i think it was this tour but we figured out that the van that we had that was broken like it would run we we tried to get it fixed in North Carolina, and the person who looked at it was basically like, "You drove this all the way here from New York? It's like you're crazy. Like this is gonna cost you four thousand bucks to fix." It was like something way beyond what we and we we're like, "Well, how do we get this back to New York?" And he's like, "Well, you can just keep putting oil in it." And so we had to stop by like Walmart every, uh, probably every about four hours and buy a new case of oil because we just kept putting oil in this van and we would get on the road and I might be mixing up tours, but I think it was this tour. And we'd know if the van was running because there'd be a big billowy cloud of black smoke behind it. And so we're like, oh, we're good for 20 more minutes. And then we need to put more oil in it. And we would like mess with people on the road. Like we would get in front of them and we had this we would just leave them oil slicked. And I remember Jeff pulled in front of this one dude and he was driving a convertible. And man, he wouldn't let him get past. You know what's so, weird? When I interviewed him, I totally forgot. Like I rode to a couple shows with him one time. He wasn't driving. And when he was like the passenger in the car he was giving directions but like in the most assholian manner you can imagine and afterwards i turned to the driver i was like dude that was hilarious and he was like no it wasn't <laughs> so i can imagine being on the road with him like that would probably be just uh, uh, a trip all the time you know yeah it was a, yeah it was a fun time but i think we were also but the other thing is like we were also in the van and we were inhaling burns oil <laughs> Jeez. So it was soon after that tour that Matt Burns decided not to be a part of our band anymore and or, or whoever decided. And uh, it makes it makes sense to me because I felt pretty bad for like a week after that from inhaling all that oil. Uh, hopefully you don't have any, like long term effects or anything. That's crazy. Oh, I hope not. But that was <laughs> problem solving. That's how we learned problem solving yeah. from being in the band, you know. It sounds like you learned a lot from being in a break of dawn, you know what I mean? Like early adult experiences like that, like learning how to survive on the road, basically, you know? For sure. <laughs> you got to um, like, it's like create, you got to, yeah, critical thinking and. Um, but yeah, the last show, I don't know the exact head count, but like my biggest show that I ever booked is like, I can't think of anything bigger than it aside from this show. There had yeah. been at least 300 people there where Rochester was pretty crazy and st joe's is definitely is not that big of a place you know what i mean no. so, um was that like your first time just being like smothered by people like when playing a set like that that was uh 
I mean, I think I played some other shows that were quite smothering, but they were with fewer people. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, but that was a pretty smothering show. Yeah, that was maybe the most smothering show that I've been to <laughs> until that point. Yeah, I, I, I talk a lot on here. I, exactly. I talk a lot on here now about being our age or whatever and, and like things that we did back then that I would never do now. Like, obviously, I didn't yeah. book that show, but like if I did, I probably wouldn't let that many people in a show now, like in a basketball, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it was fun and it was crazy. But like, you know, crazy bad things can definitely happen when you have like two or three times the, the legal capacity. You know? Yeah, <laughs> at least it was on the first floor. So if anything did happen, it probably would have been pretty pretty easy to get out yeah and they had the door right there too so we yeah. could have all just pushed our way out if we had to but no um, but that was awesome i mean there's also something to be said about a little bit of danger once in a while yeah that's something i talk about a lot like i don't i don't want to be like at that integrity show that was here in 97 and be like surrounded by nazis but like i do yeah i do kind of want something in between where it's not like the most mm -hmm. like suburban like cookie cutter like I got my flyer and hot topic for this show or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you kind of miss the nineties for that because it was like, sometimes you really didn't know what was going to happen. You know what I mean? And that was right. That was an adventure. Um, and then I do want to say too, like, I don't know if how, how much video exists of that show, but like Greg Benoit and I definitely have been meaning to put out like a call for like any old videos like that. Cause it would be great to like start digitizing stuff and like, oh, I've got a video of it somewhere. Yeah. Cause it would be great to start putting those kind of videos online. Cause like, how you sent me those pictures that I'm going to post up with this. Like there's just so many like unpacked or, or not unpacked uh, treasures from that, from there, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That people would love yeah. to see. And that's, that's been one of my favorite parts about doing this is just like finding photos and videos. And, and then sometimes you'll see flyers and you'll be like, dude, I don't even remember that show. You know, I yeah. thought I all the shows. So, um, but now did you, am I wrong? Or did you go to RIT for a while too? Or were you always in Buffalo? No, I was always in Buffalo. Okay. For some reason, I guess I associated all you guys with RIT at one point or another. So um, did you stay in Buffalo after Break of Dawn uh, ended or did you end up going? Because I know you ended up in Chicago after a while, right? Yeah. So right after Break of Dawn ended, or this is part of it, was that, you know, Eric and I went to, we went to, well, I went to grad school and Eric moved with his, uh, his partner at the time to go to grad school in Arizona. So uh, I, yeah, I went to the University of Chicago to, I was going to be an anthropologist and now I'm sort of doing that again. Um, and that was right after we broke up in Break of Dawn. Yeah. And then there wasn't any musical projects for a while or how, how like how, how long did it take before uh, Locrian came along, I guess? Um, so that was in 2001, 2002. And then I started doing Locrian in 2005. And there were a couple uh, projects between then. Uh, so I, yeah, I moved to Chicago. The first thing I did after I ended my master's program was like, all right, I need to start playing music again. And I answered a call on Craigslist for some people. And I was like, oh, they're into hardcore. And they listed influences that I thought were, um, like if I was a 17 year old kid in the North country, it would have been, I would have thought it was cool. Like, I was like, oh, they're into botch. They're into the Melvins. I was like, yeah, this is cool. And then they're into some other bands. Then it was like bands that were uh, very much not uh, things that I was interested in doing. And so I started a couple of bands <laughs> uh, with people from Craigslist and found out about uh, that it, there were different ideas about how, you know, like Botch blew up like kind of recently. And at the time, around 2005, it was like, I think a lot of people that were into 
stuff that wasn't wasn't what I was into. A lot of like kind of uh, saccharine sounding emo. Uh, were got into that too. Speaking of botch, I don't know if you noticed or not, but it looks like they're putting something together. Have you seen that or? Yeah, I th- it seems like yeah, Sergeant House is tickling that. Yeah, their drummer um, posted a picture a few weeks ago, like jamming with people from high school that I haven't or something like that, and, and everybody was like, "That's got to be botch." And yeah, for for so many years they've been like, "It's not going to happen," but it seems like every band has kind of reunited by now. So they they definitely seem like yeah. one of the last ones that would, and that would be crazy to see them play that uh, "We Are the Romans" album again. You know, yeah, um, they played uh, in a basement here in 1999, and even in a basement, it was yeah. still like probably top five or top 10 live shows I've ever seen. Like they had the light thing yeah. with them and everything. And it was great. I was in that basement, Josh. You, you, you know, Sean, I'm talking about the Death Between Seasons. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was, it was awesome. Um, but now I know we were going to have, well, actually, first of all, I, di- I didn't really think about this until tonight, but the, the whole yoga thing, is that like a big part of your life? And like, when did that all kind of start too, I guess? Sure. So, yeah. So I, um, I've taught yoga and I, I will likely do that again at some point. Uh, I started doing yoga in 2013 with my wife. She essentially, when I started dating her, I was into CrossFit. And so I would always have like calluses on all of my hands and it would just, she, I'd, I'd be like, all right, I'd touch her arm or something. And she'd be like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, it's this workout I'm doing. She's like, well, you should come to like yoga with me. And it's pretty intense. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then I started going to yoga with her and we did this certain type of yoga that was really uh, emphasized core strength. And so you just go to these yoga classes and there would be people that would have some big muscles there, but then they would do the abdominal exercises and it would just crush people. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is like some cool yoga. Like you just felt really good afterwards. And, um, my wife and I got married in a yoga studio. Uh, and we essentially, we did like a yoga teacher training after that. And I started doing some metal yoga nights. And now that's like, uh, apparently a, a thing. Um, although it's, I've imagined whoever is doing it is doing something a bit different than what I was doing. And I, I might do it again. Some Did point. You got, didn't you get like a bunch of people into yoga too or whatever? Cause I feel like Eric was. Yeah. Right yeah. I mean, honestly, it was like Jeff came to visit me in Chicago and then so did Eric. And, uh, I, I introduced them to yoga. I brought them to my yoga studio and Jeff was like, it seemed like he was really into it. Um, I remember it was, I, I remember like the yoga that, that Jeff experienced there. He was like, wow, this is a lot different than the other yoga I've been to. And I was like, yeah, it's very much, it's not like the the yoga that, that my, my wife and I used to be the, the style that we teach and the style that we, we are former part of that community. It was like, it'll. It, it'll get you shaking and it's not like you're in uh happy baby pose for the entire class it's like you get to happy baby but it's after you do like a, some some challenging stuff i don't i don't know much about yoga but i just like all the names and everything like i, I remember on sopranos they'd be talking about like downward facing dog and all these different things yeah i've always just like the names it's something i've always wanted to get into but I don't know. I had a really bad car accident a few years ago. I don't even know if I could do half of this shit now because my back's all messed up, you know, but oh, it, might even, yeah. it might even help it too. I don't know, you know, it but might. is that something 
like I know now you're in Albany, which we'll get to. Is that something that that you're still actively like teaching and stuff there? Or? Um, I'm, I've got too many things on my plate. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's been um, taken off. Uh, but I'm, I might teach again. Um, I think about doing uh, certain things to help educate people because I, I mean, I have these skills that I had some really great teachers and I'd like to share that knowledge. Uh, like I used to have a lot of pain in my back and yoga really helped me clear that up. And I had pain in other places that it's helped me learn how to clear up. So that, that's, that's something I'd like to share that. Yeah. I'd be curious to see if it would help me. Cause like I got it. I, I mean, I, it was my own fault. I got into a really bad car accident like three years ago, uh, like, three years ago now. Yeah. I got thrown from the car. So, um, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I broke a bunch of bones. Brutal. Yeah. My back still hurts like all the time. And I don't know if that would help or make it worse, honestly, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to check, you know, it's not like, like agon agonizing pain or anything, but yeah. a reminder to wear your seatbelts kids and definitely don't drink and drive. Um, yeah, but um, I guess I, I had mentioned in, in the little graphic that I dropped this episode, I'm sure like 10 people looked at it, that we were going to have Terrence on with you too. So I'll probably just have you field some of the questions I was going to ask him. Um, yeah. You kind of told me something interesting that I hadn't realized, like right before we were trying to sign on last time, how you guys met each other. So I guess before we get into Locri, maybe you could tell me that. And I'm guessing maybe that's how you guys kind of like got together and decided to start doing a band too, maybe, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the time we started Locri and it was like around the end of 2005. I was playing in this band called Hexacron, which was actually, I think we did some cool stuff uh, in Chicago, but it was more along the break of dawn kind of uh, genre. And at the time I was listening to a lot of human remains and obviously lethargy because Eric Burke is one of my favorite, if not my favorite metal guitar players. And so it was like very much doing like a tech metal band. And it was just, it was really fun, but it was also a lot of time to write those songs. Uh, so you write a five minute song and it's got 20 changes. So, all right, well, it takes a while. Um, and I remember around that time I met Terrence and Terrence was at the School of the Art Institute and he was into a lot of old hardcore. So we met and we connected on this love of bands that uh, I grew up on and that I think toured in, in Florida where he grew up. So we connected on things like Ire, uh, One-Eyed God Prophecy, Uranus, probably Chokehold, although I'm not sure that Terrence was the ardent Chokehold fan that I was. Um, and just a, a Born Dead icons. I think we saw them in Chicago, actually. Um, and we, I mean, I think that's like some core part of your identity when you like the hardcore scene, like there's something that changed in me when I get into hardcore and a lot of it I mean a lot of it helped me make friends throughout my life like my first friends in Buffalo met me because they noticed that I had a patch that was like a hardcore band I had a, like a vegan patch on my backpack so because of that I met my friend Eric Noise and uh all these people that are um you know my old time friends from Buffalo um, I'm digressing. Uh, no, but actually on a side note, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Do you keep in touch with, with Eric? Um, you know, I haven't gotten in touch with them in a few years and I need to, and I, I, um, yeah, I need yeah. to get in touch with them. He's a great dude. But like, what, what, like, when did you guys decide you were going to do uh Locrian? And obviously I have a lot of questions cause I'm not nearly as familiar with that. Yeah, no, music, it's totally cool. You know, 
Um, so Terrence and I got to be friends and there was a show that my band at the time, Hexacron is what we were called. And it's actually a good demo. I could, I could send it to you if you're interested. And uh, we were supposed to play this show in Chicago um, at the Mutiny, which like you got paid in drinks and they would, you know, you'd go and they'd give you like huge Long Island iced teas and you'd leave and you'd be, you'd be pretty drunk. <laughs> and uh, it was just a fun place to play. And I was like, ah, oh, my band had to cancel this show. And I was like, Terrence, you do like a, you want to do like a noise thing. And at the time we were, we were going to uh, some noise shows in Chicago and seeing some people that were interesting. And a lot of the metal that we were seeing in Chicago at the time and the hardcore, it wasn't really things that we were interested in. We were interested in people doing more creative things. And um, I think we didn't get to see those shows. They were there in Chicago. We just, it's a very weird, weird scenes there. And we were newer to the area. So when you first sent me the newer recording, which we'll get to in a little bit, I was like, this does take me back because as a teenager, I was kind of dabbling in noise, but on my end, it was uh -huh. more like, like harsh noise and like, I yeah. guess you call it like power electronics. And we even had yeah. a noise band called uh, Gastrointestinal Atrocity. But yeah. in, in the wrestling industry, our group would be referred to as the drizzling shits. You know what I mean? Like it was not like what you guys do. I can tell you guys actually like, take the time to like plan that out and like know what it's going to yeah. sound like whereas for us it was just like let's get a bucket let's let me trash an organ you know what i mean like it was like one of those i think rhode island yeah. had a lot of stuff like that for a little while you know what i mean yeah um but let me let me drop a couple artists that i'm kind of reminded of and you, you can tell me how far off base i am yeah i was honestly kind of worried if terrence was on that i was going to get in uh end meeting for all from one of you guys before uh before <laughs> I finish. so let me tell you the few artists that i'm like okay so the new stuff Again, I don't have as much of a reference point. So like Mersbau would be like some yeah. experimental noise that I'm familiar yeah. with. And then like some of the more structured stuff you guys do. I had a girlfriend who listened to like Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Like, is that mm. totally far off base or does that kind of make sense too? No, we like that stuff. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Radwan from Iyer is the Godspeed, you Black Emperor sound person most of the time. The singer yeah. from Iyer. So yeah. it's got the Iyer connection. Yeah. I never knew that. But like, yeah. So because when you sent it to me, I was like. I, I for some reason I thought you guys were more of just like a metal band, like you were talking about your last band. That's what I was expecting to hear, and then yeah. I heard it, and I was like, to be perfectly honest, I like noise more than metal. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I've never been a huge metal guy. Like, there's like I like metal core, like metal hardcore, but like yeah. when I hear like ex experimental noise, I, I I I get more into it. I haven't listened to it as much as an adult. Like, I would try and go back and listen to Mersbo and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, that mainly. So, are, do you guys more play like noise shows then, or is it a mixture? Um, um it's i mean it's evolved over time when we first started out I, we never would have thought that we'd be playing music 17 years later we took this show and we just we, we, the person that was booking the show at the mutiny again a place we booked the show five days in advance they were like what's your band called and it was like locran okay great um and then we stuck with that name so we played that show it turned into our first like limited cd so it's kind of funny if anyone can find that um that's i have a question to just jump into that real quick how many yeah, go for how it. many fucking releases do you guys have because i'm looking on discogs like yeah. a couple different times prepping and trying to pick which stuff to listen to like after i already listened to the new stuff a couple times yeah. and i mainly went like ship listen to the relapse stuff to be honest you know what i mean because that was yeah. accessible and i was like i like the videos and visuals so i want to get into that in a little bit too but um do you know how many releases you guys have or i mean if you i guess i guess what counts as a release uh we've got like probably 40 50 wow. releases yeah 
That's and it is a lot of it like splits and like like vinyl and stuff like that, or is it all across the board? I mean, early on, it was mostly limited CDs, and we do like three inch CDs, uh, a lot of tapes. We've done VHS tapes. We've done uh, we did an eight track. We did uh, all all sorts of stuff. We've done like loop tapes. Um, so early on, we were also like trying to use the medium in a way that would maximize the medium. So like our first seven inch plague journal, which we just released digitally, um, it's called archive Two plague journal. Um, but it was a seven inch that our friend, uh, Mark Soltroff, who does the bloodlust label releases a lot of power electronics. Um, so we put like a locked groove on the end of one side. And so that's something like as many times as you want uh it, you can't really mimic the, the the feeling of a locked groove with a digital release really now one kind of uh random question but i guess related to rochester i don't know if you remember like the band hilka or the label carbon records um i had I joe on. what's that i don't it's because i had joe on here a while back i know he's into like experimental stuff and noise too but again like i know there's like so many different kinds so i don't know if like yeah. what you guys are doing would be in the same like field as him but i'll send you a link to like his stuff later so you can see if there's anything okay. because I'm not as familiar with this scene, obviously. Like I said, um, one, uh, I don't know if it was comical on your end, but I saw one of the artists you guys did perform with in 2013, and I was like, or maybe it was before that because he passed away before that 2009. Uh, uh -huh. uh, AC, uh, Anilcon? yeah, <laughs> how, how would something like that come about for you guys? Oh, that was cool. Uh, I am not an AC fan, I haven't been, um, but uh, I. I yeah, so that was like Brandon Stosoy, who uh, was the Pitchfork editor. He invited us out there. And I don't know if we even, yeah, so we we played that show, Fuck the Facts, played that show, which was a really cool grind band from Ottawa. And uh, this, uh, I shouldn't say they were terrible, but I thought they were terrible. This like very cookie cutter, black metal-ish band Compromises played, I think that, I might have been mis mistaken. And then there was like a slam metal band. I'm Compromisus might have been the slam metal band. Um, but yeah, it was a weird show. And I remember um, I saw Brandon in that show and I was like, oh, where's Seth? And I was like, did you know that he called me um, a pejorative word in Syracuse in 19, it was like 1999. And I remember AC played that show. It was like the Syracuse Fest, the second one, maybe oh. the Hellfest. Were you in Break of Dawn already by then? No, but I I was not at, not at the one with AC. But and you, I went to the thrift show? store. Yeah, yeah, and I had like this store that was uh, this shirt that was like a total. It was like a it was a flowery nylon shirt, and I kind of just wanted to wear it just to mess with people, and so I wore it. And uh, yes. Yeah, a pejorative word. I it's, it's so hard. It's again going back to the Alex Jones thing. It's always hard to, to to differentiate like if it was a shtick for him or if he was really like that. And I was just like, I don't I don't care to find out. You know what I mean? Like when I was a teenager and like some of the um I don't know what the nice word for uh the people who are some of the people who were in our scene at the time in Rochester, yeah. some of them were into it and I heard it and I was like, it's just extreme and like he's just trying to be like offensive, you know what I mean? And when they played yeah. that Syracuse Fest, I was like how is this dude not getting beat up with the flag again with the flag thing? Because what he was doing was, yeah. you know. Um, but when I saw you guys play with him, I was like, "How the fuck?" You know? Um, yeah. 
were there a lot Maybe of other weird say like, i wouldn't have done that right <laughs> were there a lot of other weird bills that you guys played like that or is that one of the one of the weirder ones um I, that was a pretty weird bill i mean that was like the only time we played with ac um i mean there are other bands that i would in looking in hindsight i wouldn't play with them again because i know better about what their politics are um those are things that were totally uh yeah i I'm I'm trying to distance myself from any kind of like net, like politics that get into any fascist, racist kind of ideology. And there's some people that are in the industrial scene that are a bit comfortable with um, with uh, fascist iconography. Um, they like to be uh, kind of controversial. What's odd is. Again, like you didn't, you didn't really fuck with this stuff. I don't think, but some of the some of the New York hardcore dudes in this day and age, uh, I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't followed them on social media. You know what I mean? And it's it's a, it's a pretty big handful, like a couple handfuls, you know. And especially in the times we're living in now, with everything that's been happening with COVID and even some of the transgender stuff, I see like people from the hardcore community. Like, I've talked about this on here a couple times too. And now that I have kids, like, I don't know how I would approach it. You know what I mean? But like, I do know that. Yeah. As a dad, like, I don't care if my son ends up playing or my daughter ends up playing sports with a transgender person. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't see why people care about that. And the funny thing is, it's not funny. Like, haha, it's funny. Like, stupid. Yeah. Like, most of the people that I see online complaining about transgender kids playing sports don't have kids. Like, why do you care? Huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they're not parents. Like, why? Like, why? Like, why don't you go worry about something else? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's just like, there's so many things now that I see and I'm like. I don't know if these people always had these beliefs or again, if they're just trying to be like provocative because like, I do know there are some people that will post like memes and stuff just to troll people. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you have anything better to do with your time? And again, I don't, I'm not trying to be yeah. like judgmental, but like, if you're like 50 years old and don't have like a, like not even kids, but like not even a wife or anything, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like you're just all alone and getting a rise out of people is all that like you can do to make yourself happy. I right. Guess. I don't know, but there's just, I don't know. But the the that that kind of I, I definitely see what you mean though. Like it's I I'm not as as familiar with industrial obviously, but like it's 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 just crazy. Like you would never think that it would be like so prevalent in hardcore. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah, I call them like alt light hardcore kids basically now. You know what I mean? It's just it's kind of sad more than anything. You know? Um, yeah, it is sad. But um, I know we won't get a chance to talk about all 700 releases that Locrian has. Yeah. But um how did like how did you guys end up working with relapse like did you guys approach them or did they approach you or um so we had been building up uh i guess a, a name for ourselves for several years and we released the we started working with the drummer because we we didn't get a drummer until 2010 like five years after we'd been doing a project and we found who we thought was the right drummer and he's still playing with us and uh, we started just doing, I guess, more direct releases in some ways, like the drums offer, offered us an offer option to do things that we didn't previously have the ability to do, like beats and songs. Um, and we essentially released a few releases and I think one of us might've reached out to Relapse and we're like, hey, you, you know, we're looking for a label, you might be a good fit. And they released, I think the first one they did for us was a reissue of the, the Clearing, which was a CD that we did in 2011. Um, and it was like, um, 
it was like maybe our most accessible release to the to the date. Now, like, I don't, we don't have to go too far into the weeds with this, but like when you work with a bigger label, I'm guessing they give you like a studio budget and stuff like that. Like, how would they approach something like this with like like a less conventional band like you guys, so to speak? You know what I mean? Um. Well, they basically, uh, you know, they gave us a budget. And we were like, we need to, we want to go into electrical audio studio and work with Roman, um, who's done a lot of really cool releases. And electrical is like Steve Albini's studio. It's a nice place to record. Um, and the benefit at the time of going to electrical audio is that you go to go to like the, the best hot dog place in Chicago with skipping the line um, because they've got, they've had friends there. So we'd be like, yeah, we're going to go to electrical. We're going to like go to hot dogs. <laughs> and it, hot dogs was like a destination for vegans too because they'd have like a lot of vegan stuff so anyway that was that was part of the whole thing um relapse released uh, our friends horseback and and that was i think their kind of foray back into noise because relapse has done some really noisy releases but it's just been a while um since they've done that stuff yeah because that's what i was gonna say i associate them with more like tech and like death metal and stuff but i feel like I feel like when I was coming up, they had they had some more like like uh, like experimental stuff, like you're saying, you know, I mean, like in the '90s and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, they released Mersbow right a while ago. Uh, have you have you ever seen Mersbow live? Or um, I actually never have. No, because he's come yeah. over here a few times, right? Or probably. Yeah. I mean, I I think I never wanted to go see him because I just heard that he went directly into the PA system, and I guess that didn't seem super interesting to me when i lived in chicago i was kind of like ah he's just gonna put his laptop in the pa system like yeah yeah i i can't remember how it wasn't that long ago it was within the last couple of years um i don't i don't have the spotify subscription anymore i kind of fell off yeah there. when i did I, I was going back and listening to a lot of stuff i hadn't listened to in a while and i listened to some of that at night and i was like yeah you know i don't listen to as much noise just because i, I more find myself listening to like hardcore or like some real street uh hip-hop type stuff or whatever you know yeah but it's definitely like like something I have a real soft spot for because I grew up a lot, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And then I guess kind of sticking with the metal theme, let's get into the the, to the release you actually sent me. Like now you're mentioning uh having a, a permanent drummer. He doesn't he doesn't play on every track on this on this release, right? Or he does, but he doesn't play the drums on every track. Okay. I was gonna say because it didn't sound like percussion or drums or whatever you'd call it on a lot of the right. tracks, you know. Um now profile and lore, that's another uh like pretty metal label too, right? Yeah. We worked with him in two, uh, 2012. We did a split album with Mammifer, which was which is Aaron Turner from Sumac, Isis. It's it's his wife Faith and and him, um, and uh, yeah. So we had a good experience working with Profound Lore, and they were able to produce the vinyl quickly. And um, so it's been really great working with Chris Profound Lore again. And that's the new release that I had the copy of that you sent. You got them to send me or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you you guys already pressed a bunch. They already pressed a bunch of vinyl for that and stuff. Or yeah, already got it. That's awesome. So how how is that how has that been going so far? Like, have you guys had like a response to that or whatever? Or like from? Yeah, the response has been really strange. I, I forgot that it was really seven years since we made any music public, and it, I guess to outsiders it seemed like we weren't a thing anymore, and um lo and behold that's how this has been received like wow they're back from the dead and we're like oh we never ended we just kind of decided to stop putting stuff out for a bit and um covid happened right when we're at the time we're getting ready to go into the studio so 
I'm I'm not as familiar with profile lore. I know there's a band from Japan called Cruelty that's more of probably like what you'd call like beat down hardcore or metalcore. That's okay. Really a hardcore fest this year, and they happen to be on that label. But are there any other label? Are there any other like artists that are like similar? Are you consider them contemporaries to you guys on profile lore currently? Or um, there's this band from from Canada that I really like called Menace Ruin, and it's like a really dark synth with these really ethereal uh pretty creepy vocals um so i i like them um other, but they profound lore has done some other really cool releases uh right now he's got this release executioner's mask and that's really i don't know how to describe it it's not a metal band i thought it was going to be metal but it's uh it's just it's like cold wave synth i guess um it's something that i can listen to in my living room um i recommend that and then like paul bear i don't know if you have you ever listened to paul bear no i'm familiar with what you're talking about but i never i never really yeah. talked about though um when i was looking up locreon like shows and tours did i this is a couple weeks ago too so i could be wrong yeah. did i see you guys played shows with cold cave at some point yeah 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 was we that another Chicago. Is that something you guys could consider like contemporaries too? Because they're more like like gothic type stuff, or whatever, right? Or no? Yeah, I mean, got, uh, it's a little bit of different style than us. I, I I think when we played with them, it fit on the bill. Um, it's all dark synths, um, but it, I think Cold Wave tends to be a little bit more poppy than we tend to be. But you know, maybe we'll write a pop album or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess sticking to the live theme for a minute, like I watched one live video from I'm guessing the show you guys played with AC because it was in Brooklyn um and it seems like like is like the the aesthetic part of your performance is important to you as like the audio part or because it seems like kind of like a multimedia type thing where the, the the lighting and i don't know if there's like visuals going on in the background too um but like the videos too kind of have that going on too you know mm -hmm. so is that kind of stuff like something you guys are thinking of when you're making these like songs and stuff too or um i don't think we think about that when we're playing songs i think it's more of something that we think about when we're playing live okay and i think we will be re-examining what we do in a live setting next time we play live because we want it to be uh i guess special because we uh we don't play live very often well that's that's actually something i've been meaning to ask you about too so did you go from chicago to baltimore to albany or is that right so, so i went from i moved out of chicago i moved to virginia uh, for a couple of years, and then I moved to Albany. Okay. So Terrence lives in Baltimore. Okay. So that, because that's what I'm curious about. So you guys, the the, mess, the rest of the band is mainly based out of like the, whatever you call that, like the Baltimore Capital Beltway, whatever that area is called area now? Or? Yeah. So we're split up between Chicago, Baltimore, and Albany now. Okay. Wow. So that that's what I'm getting at. Like, does that make it more challenging for you guys to try to come up with ideas and stuff or is it like a virtual like how we're doing this i now? mean we're always talking about ideas and the thing is with this project it's like if i get together with terrence or steven it can be a while and then we just play and we're like oh yeah we know what we're doing like like we, what we want to do um so it's it's pretty intuitive when i get together with them um but it, of course it would be nice if we were all a little bit more uh technically proficient at trading files with each other but we're we're making some progress is it is it hard at all to like prepare for live performances for this kind of stuff or oh yeah i mean when we <laughs> when we first did our tour in europe uh in 2014 we went and played roadburn which is a super fun festival um it was like we hadn't played with each other in maybe six or seven months maybe more than that and then we all flew in 
play the biggest show that we've ever played um, two nights before the show. And we practice uh, at the place where the venue was. And of course the relapse people came and watched us practice. And of course, what do we decide? Like, let's write a song to play at our show tomorrow and the next day. So we played a totally new song at Roadburn after we had only practiced for a couple hours before like our biggest show. So that was kind of kind of funny. Yeah. Now, I guess speaking of live shows, are you guys going to try and do anything like that again this year, you think, with the album and everything? Or um, We will see. I'd like to. It just depends on. It's a, it's a really weird environment playing shows right now. And honestly, I'm in this PhD program and I got to get my I got to get my work done for this. So that's that's my priority. But we, we are going to the studio pretty soon. Yeah. And record um... some more stuff. And now you mentioned touring Europe in 2014. Is that like the most uh, like far away place you guys have been? Or has there been other countries too? Or um, That's the only place we've been. So we haven't been able to tour. We'd like to go and tour some other places. Uh, but Australia is a bit challenging to tour because of the, the, the length between shows. And I think there's a, it's, it's challenging playing in Japan because of the politics. But now there are other markets that are opening up for this kind of music so it might be feasible to play and even some other places well one one other thing i noticed while, while digging into you guys too that i was envious of is the the blue check mark on spotify like is that is that something that's hard to uh that's hard to get or or is that i more don't fun? know i don't know what that i don't even know what that means it's like when you're on like social media and stuff they have a blue check mark to be like verified oh. and they have it on oh, spotify I, too i noticed okay. you guys had it and then I, I never noticed it before because then I started looking at other bands like Terror and like hardcore bands I listen to. I'm like, oh, they all have it. And then I look oh, at my cool. podcast and I'm like, my podcast is too small, I guess. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like when you know you're like official or legit or whatever. You have the, the yeah. check mark, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I started using Spotify recently because I was I realized that that's how so many people discover us. And I was like, oh, we should we should be actually doing some fun stuff with Spotify. So we've been creating some artist playlist and that's been kind of fun to work with those guys on that it's funny too because i listen to all, all the podcasts on there and then when i make because i make like a new music episode for this podcast like every few months of like new songs mm. like current bands and i've made playlists on spotify for all those episodes and never once shared the playlist like oh was the episode i'm like looking back on it today too because i was listening to a podcast and i was i somehow ended up on my like things or whatever and i was like oh my god i have all these playlists and nobody even probably knows that they're there and they're from i've had like three of these music episodes this year so yeah there's just so many things like i've been doing this podcast for like two years but like a lot of this like social media and like uh digital promotion or whatever you want yeah. to call it, it's still new to me like i'm used to like just being at a hardcore show and giving somebody a flyer or like word of mouth you know it's like, yeah i don't know how else to promote yeah them. everything changed now it's yeah. like spotify if you want to play shows then promoters are looking at how many uh followers you have on your social media and spotify and all this other stuff so it's it's definitely a little different than being like hey josh uh i got a band can i just show up and play your vfw hall uh yeah. in 1998 it seems like even hardcore is kind of like that now too because i see some of these fests it? and it's like all the same bands playing each fest you know and i like some of the bands but it's like there's a lot of good like smaller bands that just might not be in the in crowd yet i guess you know i don't know yeah I'll have a couple other like questions, but like I guess kind of wrapping up Locrian, is there anything that I missed or anything with that or anything else you want to say about Locrian? I mean, I can tell you a lot of stuff about Locrian, but we have um, essentially our new album. It's called New Catastrophism. It's being released by Profound Lore Records. I'm really proud of it. It's something that is more of a, an ambient drone record. It's how we intended it. 
but we, uh, and when we write, we, we were in the studio, we decided to start adding some percussion. And so some of the parts feel quite structured. Um, so that's, that's our new album. Artwork is by an artist named Trevor Paglin. Um, it's a, basically a cube of trinitite, which is a mineral that was formed after the first nuclear explosion um, in, a, in a square cube uh, at the Fukushima nuclear site. And the artwork will be visible to the public between three and 3,000 years from now. There's a few times where I've interviewed people and I'm like, man, these people are way too smart for me to be talking to. And you're definitely one of the people. And I would see some of the oh, stuff. Oh, no. Like you guys posted something. I forget what it was on the Locri on Instagram about. I could look it up later. And I was like, man, that's really deep. Like it's just stuff <laughs> I never think about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but I will say that I love the way that artwork looks for the album, too. I definitely want to include that in one of the graphics uh, for this episode, too. You know? So, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was uh, kind of sticking to the, the Terrence thing, when I was looking on Discogs, it seemed like you guys ran the label together for a little while or, or no? Or did you guys? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So was that was a great stuff? thing. Uh, no, it wasn't all noise stuff. A lot of it was like noise, metal, um, whatever we felt like doing. But we basically, um, we started this label called Land of Decay because we made all these connections through trading tapes as a, an experimental band. and. Uh, we were selling Locri and stuff. So we just figured we'd start selling stuff for our other artists that we like. And I think we released about 30 cassettes. And at that point, it was getting to be a bit of a challenge to sit in my living room and I had tapes everywhere and I was going to the post office every day and it was not fun. So we decided, well, we're on relapse now. Uh, let's just not do the label. <laughs> they that can was- do the shipping. That was before, like, because tapes have kind of made a comeback lately, too. That was yeah. before that, obviously, too, then, huh? Yeah, it was it was it was during the it was a comeback. It was it was around the time when the pressing plants for tapes were getting really booked up. Like, I can understand, like, more of like noise and like, I don't want to say obscure, but like different kinds of music, like making like tapes and eight tracks and stuff. Yeah. But like when I see hardcore bands making tapes again, I'm like, why? You know, like I love yeah. vinyl and CDs, but like like, why are you guys putting your hardcore on tapes? You know, like, it just seems like, yeah. it just seems weird, you know, like, I don't know. Like the noise thing, I feel like they'll, it'll always, they'll always be tapes, you know, like I miss, mm-hmm. I really miss, that's one of the things I miss most from like the, when I was into like harsh noise and like a lot of other like grindcore and like DIY, like I, I was trained yeah. motherfucker, you know what I mean? Like we would, that's cool. Stuff like 10 flyers and stickers in there for other like mm-hmm. tapes and stuff. And, you know, I really miss that. But like you said, like, I, I can't imagine doing that now at like 40. Yeah. Stuff, you know? Yeah. So, um, but like I said, I'm sure I, we, you and I could probably go on about all these topics for hours, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty much out of questions though. So if there's anything I've missed or anything you think is relevant to this discussion, um, I guess, uh, feel free to, to let me know. <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, we could talk about this for a lot more, but I mean, I'm just very grateful to the people in the Rochester and the, the Buffalo hardcore scene. Uh, it was so important to me as a, a young adult going to shows that I loved in, in both those cities. But yeah, I guess kind of getting ready to wrap up. I know we just talked about it, but if you want to give like plugs and uh, any other shout outs or anything like that before I kind of start wrapping up. Sure. I guess shout out to uh, No End Ithaca. Shout out to anyone from the Rochester scene that's still around like you. Thanks for setting up that show with Husk. Uh, 
Jenny Metka, a shout out to you. Uh, John 25, I don't know whatever happened to him, but he's well. Matt Burns, uh, probably being too hard on himself for uh, for uh, being a, a, a young adult. And uh, so shout out to Matt, Jill, my wife, Alex. Um, shout out to my my two dogs are at the, away from me for a few weeks. So um, shout out to my parents for letting Travis and I make really loud music in my house in Brazier Falls, <laughs> Winthrop, actually. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to Travis. Before I do my outro, I, I don't think I've ever been away from my dog for two weeks. I don't know. I, I think maybe uh, five days we went to Vegas was probably it. And even when she was young then, you know, like it's I have uh, kids now, too. But it's just that must, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're traveling a lot, though, huh? Like back and forth and stuff. Or... Um, not usually. Oh, I gotta say shout out to Eric Noyes too. Um, not usually, but I'm, I'm just in i I'm doing a fellowship in DC for the summer. So after this back in Albany. Well, yeah, like I said, it's been really great catching up with you. I really enjoyed this. I'm glad we were able to make it work despite all the uh, previous uh, technical uh, minor missteps that I had. And I appreciate you being patient with all that too, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, I definitely want to thank Andre for taking the time to do this interview. And again, being patient with my little minor technical issues there as always shout out to Greg Benoit, Rob Antonucci and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for being patient while I'm doing all this nonsense. Um, another episode will be dropping in a few days. Uh, see everybody real soon and stay safe.